Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. You'll want to sit tight this hour as hosts Mike Abadir and co-host Gino Bacola talk to the experts, celebrities, and figures from the worlds of sports and business of sports. We cover the NFL, baseball, basketball, soccer, and horse racing, so we have all of the bases covered. Now, we just need your participation. Here is your host, Mike Abadir. Gina Bacola here on the Mike Abadir Show. Mike will be joining us in just a few minutes, but we got to get right into the horse racing discussion this week. It is Breeders' Cup week, two days, Friday and Saturday, the best racing of the year. Although, to be honest, uh, this year, some of the fields aren't quite as deep, and maybe he's not quite the buzz uh, as, as normal years with some of the, the negativity at Santa Anita. But when we bring in our first guest, and our, our second guest to talk some racing, we're going to get right into the positivity. And, and we'll all be keeping our fingers crossed, is, uh, hoping that there's no incidents this weekend, that everybody comes out safe out of the races. And uh, we'll do our best to try to steer you in the right direction and make some money. So let's welcome in our first guest on the Mike Abadir Show. You know him very, very well. From Timeform US, he is at Timeform US Figs on Twitter, Craig Milkowski. Craig, buddy, how you doing today? I'm doing very good. i uh, always happy to be on. I, I am pleased to see I'm on before Andrew Champagne. If it would have been uh, reversed, I might have been a little upset. Just because I've known him <laughs> since he was a kid. Uh, <laughs> no, actually, he's he's an old buddy of mine. I, I met him when he was very young. I think he was still about six foot eight back then when he was 12. Oh, but yeah. Tall yeah. guy. Super seven three. Guy, though. I, I love Andrew. He's also a good friend of the show, so he'll be joining us to talk a couple of races a little later on. But uh, I noticed, Craig, before we get into some of the specific races, I noticed that, like always, you have a, a lot of stuff out there when it's a big racing day. There was a video that was posted uh, on, at DRF Inside Post, and then you also have a, a big package this weekend with Timeform US. Let us know about some of the things uh, you have for the Breeders' Cup. Yeah, we put out, if you buy our Time Form U.S. Breeders' Cup package, of course, you get all the PPs. Uh, I think you get all the tracks for both days. You get uh, analyst uh, analysis for me, David Aragona, um, also Jamie Lynch, formerly of Time Form, uh, but now of Sky Sports. He gives a really nice write-up of all the Euro shippers that come over, which, to be honest, is is worth the price of the package. The guy's really sharp. And as much as I watch replays and read the time form ratings, I could never give the insights that he does on the, the foreign runner. So he did a stellar job as always, and I will use his insights as I always do. And I'm really looking forward to this weekend. Like you said, it, it may not match some of the Breeders' Cups we've had in past years, but I think it's still the best betting we have all year. The fields are deep. Uh, some are contentious. Maybe some are not. But that that's kind of what you need sometimes. Uh, you don't want every... You know, we got 14 races. Uh, sometimes you need an easy one or one that's maybe not quite as tough as others when you're playing pick threes, pick fours, whatever. So I'm really looking forward to this weekend. Yeah, me too. I, I'm real pumped. Uh, when did a lot, a couple different shows and uh, lots of different analysis. So uh, now we're ready to rock and roll and give you some winners here on the Mike Abadir Show. So we're going to talk with Craig about the two sprint races. We're going to talk about the Philly and Mayor Sprint. And the, and the sprint. So let's start with the Philly and Mare sprint, Craig, which is going to go as race number four on Breeders' Cup Saturday. And a lot of the talk about this race is that uh, a really, really nice Philly who was going to take a lot of money in this race drew the, the rail, and that's Kofivi. So where do you stand and kind of how do you uh, 
how do you start this race as far as the handicapping? I think you have to start with her, whether you're kind of with her or against her. Where do you stand on Kofivi and then kind of take the race from there? Well, you're 100% right. The race goes through her. I mean, she's a deserving favorite. She's been the fastest horse this year. She's probably the fastest horse early, and I think she's going to be tough, but I do think she's vulnerable. I don't think she's a horse you by any chance want a single, and that's for a few reasons. One, the seven furlong distance is probably not. I know she's ran well at it, but I think she's probably a little better at six. Uh, she drew the inside, which isn't great at Santa Anita. It's not a death sentence, but it's certainly a little bit of a disadvantage. And I do think there's some other speed in here that can press her. So while I will certainly be using her on my tickets, uh, there's one one filly in particular I'm really interested in, and I'll probably use a couple in here. Okay, and who's uh, the filly that you're interested in? The filly I'm interested in is Bella Fina. And it, it's kind of a weird story with her. I, I kind of was against her all year long. I, I was never a fan. I, I think she wound up going off the favorite in the Oaks and on the various podcasts pretty much from January through May. I was against this horse, and, and she didn't show up. She didn't run very well in the Oaks at all. She came back in the test, uh, turned back to seven furlongs, which a lot of people, including myself, think is probably her best distance. I think when she was winning at longer distances at Santa Anita earlier in the year, she was just beating up on overmatched competition. But she just wasn't ready for the test. Uh, the, she was coming off a layoff. The piece was super hot. Kofefi was in there along with Serengeti Empress, the Oaks winner. And those two just went out and flew, and she couldn't keep up. And she, she ran a decent third. Uh, it wasn't a great effort by any means, but I thought it was a good effort off the layoff. But the race that really caught my attention was that last one, that Parks, the uh, grade one cotillion at a mile and a 16th, which just had a crazy, insane, fast pace. Uh, you know, in Time Form US, we code the fractions when the pace is hot. Uh, that one is, they're all coded in red. But to be honest, uh, if there was some other kind of red or if we could put little flames shooting out the back or something, that would tell the true story of that piece. It, it was really insane that day. The race collapsed late. Street band came from way back at the back to get up and win. But what I really liked about Bellafina was that she made a really nice move into the pace. She actually took the lead, turning for home, before getting tired and understandably getting run down late. But I just think at this turn back again that she's much more fit than she was for the test. And I think she's going to get a lot better set up and, and just be ready to roll and fire a big one. And I really like the price they're getting on her. Uh, if that six to one morning line is accurate. And I think it's probably pretty close. Yeah, I, I like her a lot on the spot, too. And you know what? If you're looking for her to just Im improve a little bit, too, and get back to herself, it's nice that she's coming back to Santa Anita, a track that she knows very well, a track that she's performed at very well. I think I have her in my top tier of horses, and I'm going to be using in most of the exotics. And I kind of look at this race similar with you. It's not, it, it's not even, you know, the rail, I guess, doesn't bother me as much. Like, I, I'm not, if, if there's a fast horse that draws the rail, it doesn't bother me. It's more so that, you, you mentioned the seven furlongs and, you know, I think there's just other speed to the outside of her that that's more so like if she was the seven and she had to deal with speed to the eight, nine and 10, it would still bother me. 
you know, and that that I think is what it comes down to a little bit here too. We have Selcourt who, who's going to be quick, and then right to her outside, Kofibi, she's going to have to deal with the news because my girl Heaven has my Nikki. So yeah, for me, I think Bellafina come dancing will get some money. I thought Don the Destroyer is kind of an interesting horse to pick up the pieces, but if you're getting like five, six to one, I, I feel I feel like Bellafina is probably the right way uh, to go in here. So um, any any other things to mention about the Philly and Mare Sprint? Uh, no, not particularly. Just just as you mentioned, that was my problem with the rail. The other speeds to her outside, and I, I still think she's going to run well. She's coming into the race good. I just don't think she's probably going to be in the six to five, seven to five range, and I think she's probably worth taking a shot against. I mean, she she could just run away from him and win the race as the best filly, and I'll tip my hat to her. But it's a gambling game, and in the end, I, I think she's probably going to be uh, undervalued or overvalued. Yeah. I should say. You and I can find other um, like seven or eight to five shots that we like more. You know, I, I'm sure they'll be out there some days for us. So we won't we won't fret if she beats us at that price. Uh, let's move to the right. other sprint now. We'll, we'll go to race number eight, and that's going to be the Breeders' Cup Sprint. And this one, I guess, it's kind of similar in that I get you guess you have to kind of start with the horse who's been really really good this year, and and, and that's Matoli. And Matoli has you know. He's been nearly perfect. He had the race uh, in the Vanderbilt where he was kind of down on the inside, and that was a tough rail, and Saratoga had some tough um, rails uh, throughout their meeting. But uh, take a, take the sprint and kind of give us your, your overall thought on the race. Yeah, this is a race. I mean, I think the pace is going to be solid. There is plenty of speed. It was hurt a little bit by the scratch of Landis Cog. Not that I think he was a contender, but he definitely was going to add some pace. But in the end, the, the four best horses all have tactical speed. I don't think any of them are need-to-lead types or anything, and I'm talking about Catalina Cruiser, Matoli, Chancelot, and Imperial Hint. Uh, maybe Chancelot is need-to-lead, but he's the one I probably like the least out of the four. Uh, I, I just don't like his last couple races. He had clear leads. He wasn't setting particularly fast paces. I know he had the big race at Saratoga where he beat up on, on three-year-olds and won by over a dozen lengths and, and got a huge speed figure no matter who makes the figures. But for me, he's just been a bit of a disappointment. So I expect him to be the pace setter. I like others in here more. Uh, the other contender I don't particularly care for is Catalina Cruiser, who drew inside. Uh, that's not nearly as bad as six furlongs. But I'm just not sure he's quite the same horse he was last year. He hasn't been running the same type of speed figures. Uh, and, you know, while he's been winning, he hasn't, the horses he's beaten aren't on anybody's top 10 lists of anything. And I just, I'm really worried about how he flopped in the Breeders' Cup last year. Uh, he just didn't run a step at three to five. He looked terrible. Fin- or four to five, I think he was. He finished way back. And now he's turning back to, in distance to six furlongs and, I just think he's going to get outrun, to be honest. I'm not a huge fan. And that leaves me with Matoli and Imperial Hint. These are the two I really like a lot in here, and I'm probably going to be boxing them in an exacta. Uh, maybe playing Imperial Hint just a little bit more due to the outside post position. I think he'll probably work out a little better trip. But I really think these two stand out over the rest of the field. Yeah, and you know, it's funny with Catalina Cruiser, because I, I remember at the end of last year, I actually picked him in one of my fantasy leagues, because I remember reading about how they had the plans for him this year um, that to, to go to all the big classic races, and they thought that he was the type of horse that would be running, you know, their Breeders' Cup Classic horse, and it's, it's, it's funny when you're three for three, and you've won three grade twos on the year, but you've, you're 
it's feeling disappointing, you know, and it feels like you, because you just, you weren't as flashy as you were last year and, and with all the upside. And I think with the kind of the ceiling that he showed last year, but he, yeah, with the, in, the inside draw, I think really makes him kind of tough because I feel like he's not the type of horse who's going to kind of get in some trouble and be able to accelerate down there. And I, I'm kind of in real agreement with you on, uh, on Imperial hint. And I really, to me, the key with Matoli in, in I think a lot of his races this year, and maybe in, in particular in the race that he lost, was that with with his speed and the ability to sit, if they go quick, he just kind of gets caught up in it. And if he's especially when he's on the inside of it, and and that's why I like Imperial Hint. And you know, Imperial Hint, as, as you were talking about, he has he's a type of horse who can sit, and and that's probably the the trip we want to see with him, right? Sitting just off, I think he's better when he has a little bit of a target and. and versus when he's trying to get the, when he's on the lead, kind of setting the pace? Yeah, I agree. He's a small horse, and, I mean, I was really impressed with his last race. His Vanderbilt with Eddie won, I, I used that that name for uh, Chance a lot earlier. It was actually the, uh, well, what is that three-year-old race? The Amsterdam. Amsterdam. Uh, he won yeah. the Vanderbilt. Imperial Hint did, and he got a huge figure that day, and I'll be the first to admit that was the the bad rail day, and he definitely had a good outside trip, so I think the track helped him, but I was really impressed last time where he drew inside. It was a a virtual match race with Forenzi Fire. He was kind of trapped down on the rail, and he fought back on to get the win. He didn't run particularly as fast, but he showed it. He's just a game little horse, and I think he really likes being outside of horses. Um, and I think he's just going to get the perfect trip. I don't really have any knocks on Matoli. He, he's been great all year. He's won six, seven, and eight furlong races. Uh, he definitely had an excuse in his one loss. But as you say, if the post positions were switched, I might switch it up a little bit. But I have a feeling yeah. he's going to be in between horses and kind of have to fight throughout the whole race and maybe be a little bit softened up at the end for Imperial Hint. Yeah. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. Like in everything, I think Imperial Hint wasn't doing what he does best last time out, and he was still able to win in in that race. That it looked like Frenzy Fire had every right to just go by and keep going, and that was off of that big effort that he had. And and we kind of forgot a little bit about Imperial Hint last year when he had you know a really good year last year, and he was the favorite in the sprint because Roy H kind of handled him um, pretty easily, I guess, in the Breeders' Cup sprint. And and when you're beating five lengths in a sprint when you're the favorite, you know, I guess you're a little disappointed. Disappointing. And then the start of the year, we, we didn't really hear from him till about, you know, middle to the, the, the start of the, the second half of the season. Yeah, I think he's in a really great spot here. Uh, I, I like him drawn to the outside. And uh, I, I guess we might be in some trouble because in these couple races, it seems like we're in a, in, in a good amount of agreement so, so far in, in both of the sprints, Craig. So uh, like always, really appreciate you joining us. And um, we're on Twitter at time form us figs you mentioned uh, the package you had and then you did a video with drf a these are the two races you like did you have any overall thoughts uh, on the rest of the the breeders cup just in general or uh, anything in before we let you go uh no nah, just a couple horses i'm interested in i mean we'll have to see on the prices these are races i i don't think i handicap for the the package but i'm curious about serengeti empress i think she might be loose on the lead in the distaff and one of the other horses i'm really interested in is the turf sprint i like in primus and just watch his last race and, and you can see why i like him i, I think he's a better he's horse than than he looks the chart maker kind of missed that one so he's a horse i'll be keying on 
Yeah, I agree. I think his last two were he, he had a lot of trouble in both of those. That's a big shot in there. So, well, hopefully we can get a couple of these home. Uh, where where are you going to be uh, watching? Uh, what's your Breeders' Cup setup like? Where are you going to be watching the races and taking it all in? Uh, for this year, I'm going to be in my living room, just watching on TV oh, and betting, not going anywhere. I, I am passing up a Thunder game. For some reason, they decided to play at 4 o'clock on Breeders' Cup Day. So my daughter's taking my tickets for that day. I'm, me and the wife are staying home and trying to make some money. Well, tell her uh, I said hello, and uh, hopefully you make a good amount of that, and I'll be definitely following along with you and, and talking to you through the weekend. All right, sounds good, Gino. Happy to be on as always. Thanks a lot. Craig Milkowski. You can follow him on Twitter at TimeformUSFigs. Thanks, Craig. We'll, uh, we'll have you on again very soon. Sounds good. Really appreciate the analysis there from our good buddy Craig Milkowski talking about both the sprints. So we went through the Philly and Mare sprint and then the Breeders' Cup sprint races four and race number eight on Saturday for the uh, the breeders cup so you know what this is actually a good time let's uh let's duck in a quick break right now at about 4 30 or so andrew champagne will be joining us he's going to talk a couple breeders cup races with us so between now and then we'll fill in the blanks in, in some of these uh saturday races we'll go through races five six seven and uh i think mike should be joining us in just a few minutes too to probably towards the second half of the show to give his input on some of these breeders cup races as well so don't go anywhere we'll be right back here on the mike abadier show Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Looking for the best show about horse racing and handicapping? Want to play the ponies? Join us every week for Winning Ponies with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, where you'll go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, agents, and handicappers in the world of horse racing. This show is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Listen for top plays for the weekend and the spot play of the week and win prizes just for calling in. Winning Ponies with John Englehart is live Thursdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network. Have we got a high-energy, all-access sports show for you. It's Outside the Huddle, starring Lemond Williams. Each week, join Lemond as he takes callers, discusses the week's top stories in the world of sports, and sits down with active and former players to discuss their transition from sports to business. Outside the Huddle is a great resource for players making career transitions both on and off the field. Tune in Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 Central, and 5 Pacific. Pacific for Outside the Huddle on the Voice America Sports Channel. Want to experience football from the perspective of a former player who also has coaching experience? Tune in to Sports Info UM with Daryl Oliver. He'll talk about the draft, play-by-play, and even what's happening in the offseason. Daryl has the connections and the knowledge to bring you the inside stories of the game's past, present, and future. He'll cover the camps, on and off the field, and everything else, football and beyond. Sports Info UM is heard Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com
This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Back here on the Mike Abadir Show. Big thanks to Craig Milkowski for uh, talking couple Breeders Cup races with us. Andrew Champagne is going to be joining us in about 10 minutes. So until we hear from Andrew, let's let's pick up right where Craig left off. So we were on, starting on race number four, which is the, the Breeders' Cup races on Saturday. Talk to that Breeders' Cup Philly and Mare Sprint. Let's go to race number five, and it was a good tease from Craig because he mentioned a horse named Imprimis in this race. And I think you, you have to use the three Imprimis in all of your exotics. Look at the last two races that he ran. He's going to go third start off the bench. Now he went over to Ascot. So it just shows you how, how much they think of this horse to send him over there. Most recently he was saving ground. He was on the inside, but he was behind horses. He was traveling really well. And then he tried to move in between. He just had nowhere to go. Thought it was a really, really good effort. Some, some sneaky trouble and some sneaky trouble on September the 7th. But what's fun about this race, many different directions to go. And uh, we're going to get into this one uh, in depth with Andrew in just a few minutes because this was one of the races he wants to talk about. The sixth race is the, yes, believe it or not, it is the Big Ass Fans Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile, sponsored by Big Ass Fans. It's the Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile. And you know what Big Ass Fans has? Big Ass Fans. Yeah, just the, the fans. They bring them in, and they're, they're, they're Big Ass Fans. Uh, nonetheless... They are the sponsor of this Breeders' Cup race, which is which is great. So this is the the Dirt Mile, and Omaha Beach is going to be the likely favorite in here. This is one of my best bets on the day. I really like the four, Mr. Money. If you look at Mr. Money's year, he was a horse who was trying to get into the Kentucky Derby early on in the year. But I think going, it was just a little too much for him at the, at the moment. And they were able to kind of cut back, and they took a different approach. And instead of trying to face the absolute top tier horses, they were facing graded stakes horses. And Mr. Money put together a really nice win streak. He just missed last time out. And he really should have won. He held off all sorts of challenges. And then he almost got nailed late in the And he did get nailed late by Math Wizard in the middle of the racetrack. I think Mr. Money on the slight cutback, there's going to be a lot of attention, a lot of money on Omaha Beach, and Probable is going to get money too. This is a really nice spot for Mr. Money. Some other horses that you maybe want to use in here, the Nine Diamond Oops, who's actually moving from the grass to the dirt. I actually thought he ran really, really well, and it was two back in the Vanderbilt that I liked his effort when he was behind Imperial Hint, and he actually outfinished Natoli sprinting that day. Yeah, and then Blue Chipper. Throw him in the bottom of your exotics, the eight, Blue Chipper. He is he's really impressive when you watch him. I don't, I'm not sure how that's going to translate over to these horses going a mile on the dirt, but I was super impressed. And you can watch his races, uh, last couple of races on YouTube. The seventh race is the Philly and Mare Turf. And this, what, this comes down to, okay, Sister Charlie. What do you do with Sister Charlie? who was going to be a very heavy favorite and she was last year's winner. And you look at this race and there's not, it doesn't feel like there's a top tier contender that, that can really beat her. 
but she's going to be without her rabbit now. What do I mean by that? The six horse dice is generally always entered in races with Sister Charlie because Thais goes really quick early on and sets it up for Sister Charlie, who's a closer. And Thais makes sure that nobody can go real slow up front and steal the race. But without the rabbit, maybe you look at a horse like Mirth and maybe you upgrade Mirth a little bit now. And uh, is Mirth good enough to steal this race on the front end? Uh, Maybe. But I, I think you really have to upgrade Mirth and any of the other horses who are going to be sitting close and, and showing a little bit of speed. Eighth race is the sprint. We just talked about that one with Craig. I'm with him on on Imperial Hand. That's my top selection in there. I, I'm not completely tossing Catalina Cruiser as much. I, I'm kind of with him on the disappointing year that he's had. I have him kind of underneath with Matoli. And I, I, this that race feels a little bit obvious to me. You know, Chancellor wouldn't really shock me. The ninth on Saturday is the mile. And when I look at this race, I just did not think it was a really strong race from top to bottom. This feels like more of a group slash grade two or three race than it is a group or grade one race. And to me, when I look up and down, there only felt like there were maybe one or two horses that were legitimate top level group stakes. I thought Circus Maximus was one of them. And with the blinkers on, he just looks like he is coming out of races that are so much tougher than I think any of the, the U.S. horses are uh, have been facing. So Circus Maximus, I think a really, really strong horse to include in all of your exotics. And he'll probably get bet down in here. And he's He's a horse who I like more than some of the short price horses. Like I, I'd give him way more of a look uh, than you know, singling a Matoli or singling a Sister Charlie. The tenth race is the Distaff. What an awesome year it's been for Midnight Bisu. Perfect seven for seven. Heading into the year, we didn't know if she was able to go a mile and eighth. We thought she was maybe a mile, mile and a sixteenth type. She's proved that she can go longer. She defeated a late uh, multiple times this year. She's done everything asked of her. And now she'll try to win the big one. Midnight Bisu it has been a really great year. And I believe we have our next guest on hold who's going to come on in and talk some Breeders' Cup with us right now. Andrew, before we get into some of the specific races, I mean, in a year that many divisions have been down, I guess there are a few when we look at the Breeders' Cup races, especially on Saturday, where there are some pretty strong contenders. And Midnight Bisu has to be considered, I guess, one of the bit real big stars. She's been awesome this year. It's been a really good year for Midnight Bisu. Coming into the season, I was a little bit skeptical about her ability to get two turns. She's always seemed like a better one-turn horse than a two-turn horse. And this year, it seems like she's really matured and taken that leap. Midnight Bisu will be a very heavy favorite in the Breeders' Cup Distaff. She'll be a short price. I don't think it's worth it going against her. I'm actually a little bit disappointed that she's not going in the Classic to go up against the late. That really would have been something special. And to be quite honest, would have made the Classic much more fun to watch than it plans to be right now. But there are a number of divisions to keep an eye on, especially on Saturday. Even with the Classic being down a little bit this year, 
The Distaff's going to be fun with Midnight Bisou. The Breeders' Cup Sprint is going to be a lot of fun with the likes of Mentoli and Imperial Hint and a couple of others as well. And there's a couple of other races over the next couple of days at Santa Anita that we'll get to talking about. And uh, as it turns out, for better or for worse, we like the same horse in one of them. So uh, we'll get to that, and I'm looking forward to it. Okay, well, while we're on Saturday, let's stay on Saturday, and then we'll go back in time uh, and, and talk a little bit about Friday. So uh, we're on Saturday. Let's talk about one of the early Breeders' Cup races of the day, and it is the Turf Sprint, which, you know, when I'm looking at these races a lot of times uh, at, you know, Keeneland, we see some good turf sprints, and and we don't see, you know, the, the down the hill as much anymore. But generally, there are sometimes a, a grab bag, I didn't. I didn't. I don't get as um, as interested in handicapping them. That was not the case with this race, man. I started sinking my teeth into this race, and I I really really liked it. You can make like legitimate strong cases for like, six, seven different horses in here, especially with the five furlong layout. Man, this this is a I thought a really really good good betting race because many options you, you're not going to have probably anyone under under like four to one right before we get started i just have to tell you i miss the hill i understand why they're right. not running on Me it too. i get it i miss the hill Gosh. the hill is just plain fun uh anyway though you're right this is a tremendous race for my money this is the best betting race of the Saturday program and a program that's filled with a lot of very good betting races this five furlong route could throw a monkey wrench into things, and I think there was a ton of early speed signed on. And you can take a look through the field, the likes of Pure Sensation, Shecky Shabazz, lots of early speed on the inside, and a bunch of horses on the outside that will almost certainly be flying early, the likes of Legends of Order went wire to wire at Kentucky Downs last time out as well. With that in mind, I like a couple of closers to potentially pick up the pieces a little bit. Eddie Haskell breaking from the 10 post is not ideal, but he Loves this turf course. He was a very good second in the Eddie D behind Pee Wee Reese. Beat Stormy Liberal by a length and a quarter that day. I think he's going to be rolling late. The question is if he's going to have to come very wide in order to do that. With that in mind, the other closer I think you need to consider that's a big price is number five Stubbins, who's 12 to 1 in the morning line, despite having won a great two last time out at Keeneland. Fabian Pratt comes aboard for Doug O'Neill, and this is a He's going to be maturing late in his three-year-old year. I think Stubbins is a big shot at a really nice price, and the faster they go early, the better this one will like it. You know, what's funny about Stubbins, and we see this a lot of times in, in turf sprint races, like it takes a, a, a bit, and I guess it didn't take as long with him because they figured out pretty, pretty early he liked the hill. But sometimes with some of these horses, it just takes a little while to figure out, oh, I'm a turf sprinter. That's what I do, right? You try a few uh, a few things, you see what works, and then you find this niche. And man, if you're able to just focus on Stubbins' turf sprint races, overall he's done very little wrong. I mean, his he, you can put a line through the UAE Derby, then you can put a line through the La Jolla when he was chasing Kingley, you know, and and then you're looked at you're looking at form that's been really really good. He ran into his stablemate, and that Kentucky Downs turf course was playing really funky. Um, it was kind of playing really nice to the horses who were right on the lead. It was tough to make up ground. So some of those results, you see the horses that were right on the lead, and they kind of got flattered a little bit by being on it. I'm with you. I think Stubbins is a really good horse to use in some of your exotics. So uh, how 
this race, I guess it's in the middle of the pick four and any other way you're kind of approaching it from a, a wagering standpoint? I don't think Omaha Beach loses the dirt mile, so my strategy is going to be to play some doubles starting in this race with a couple of horses that are prices and singling Omaha Beach in that dirt mile, potentially getting a little bit of value out of a horse that's going to be a pretty short race. Yeah, and uh, kind of to piggyback what you uh, your point on Eddie Haskell, I have a feeling he might, you know, he's a local horse, but I have a feeling he might not get bet as much because people might look at him and say, ah, you know, he's in California, maybe he's facing small fields. But if you, his form really holds up because if you notice, like, he, he's able to, to hang with Stubbins and Stormy Liberal, and the races that he loses are races where he's just a little bit behind a horse who gets loose on the lead. So I think he's, he has a really, really good job, uh, a good opportunity to win this race. And especially if he's right around that morning line, like if he doesn't get hit hard and he's around four or five to one, he really seems to fit. So I'm glad that you picked this race out when we were talking about uh, races, because normally this wouldn't be one that I would have picked myself. But for me, I think I had this on, on my maybe one or two uh, of best betting races on between Friday and Saturday. Eddie Haskell is a dream of a horse to own, you have to figure. He's 10 of 24 lifetime, has made more than $600,000. But look at his record at this distance. Nine for 14, three seconds, two-thirds. This is a horse that always seems to fire. If this horse was breaking from an inside post, I'd like him significantly more because he does have a little bit of tactical speed and could sit just off of the pace. The 10-hole, a little bit of a concern, and maybe we'll get a slightly inflated price based off of that. But if Joel Rosario can put this one in a good spot turning for home, I think he's the one they may have to hold off late, in addition to Stubbins, who figures to be a very good value player. there. Okay, so uh, that is uh, on Saturday. Let's go backwards to Friday. Is Twilight Derby, you want to talk that first? Let's go to Twilight Derby. Oh, yes. The 2.17 p.m. Twilight Derby. Um, I, I don't know what went into the placement. I don't know why the race wasn't renamed because it's going to be Twilight somewhere, just nowhere in North yeah. America. And uh, that's getting nowhere near the attention it deserves. Having said that, there's a horse in there that I like a lot. And I really hope we get the five to one morning line price on number nine Kingley. If you look at this field, there's not a lot of early speed signed on. I think Kingley's got the potential to lead every step of the way, much like he did in the three back. He ran very well against older horses in the city of Holt Mile last time out. He's back with three-year-olds in the spot. The mile in an eighth, a little bit of a concern. Maybe that's a hair further than he wants to go, but he's run reasonably well at that distance before, and I think he could get very brave early on. Speed horse taking blinkers off. Give me five to one on a pop for horse any day. I think there's a lot to like with number nine Kingley in the twilight slash late morning, early afternoon derby. Yeah, and you know if you can get you can get the mile and an eighth if you're not going as as quick early, and you're not sometimes going a little farther. You're just not pushed as hard uh, early on. So Kingley trying to steal it there in race number three, that twilight derby. So let's go back now to Friday, and there's a race that you mentioned that you liked a little bit, and uh, it's a race that I actually have a, a very similar opinion to you and with you. It's the Juvenile Phillies Turf. Set the race up a little bit for us, and then tell us who you like. 
Well, a lot of people may think this is a hunch play for me based on my name and the horse's name, but I really like number seven, Cristal, who is eight to one on the morning line. For my money, Cristal had the worst racing luck of any horse on either Breeders' Cup day in their most recent prep race. Take a look at that running line from the grade two Miss Grillo. That is not a typo. She went nine wide, turning for home. Now, not a lot of horses run well when nine wide. I'd be very interested in seeing the trackus numbers from that race. But she was second, beaten less than a length, despite rating well behind very small early fractions. Remember, Belmont Park's turf course plays very, very quick when it's firm, as it was for the Miss Grillo. There's a lot of early speed in this race. Joel Rosario rides back on Cristal, and I think Cristal gets the set of shades and the troops she needs in order to run them all down late at a bit of a price. She's 8-4 on the morning line. I really, really hope we get it because I think she's the horse to beat, even with a couple of well-meant Europeans coming in from across the pond. That's Cristal, horse number seven, in race number eight. Um... Andrew Champagne, my very, very good friend. Andrew, we're up against a break right now. So before we get to the break, I know you're doing some great things uh, with the YouTube channel. Give us all the information. Give us the plugs. Let us know where we can find it. Sure. YouTube is at Andrew Champagne. Just search my name and my video should come up. Still doing some YouTube stuff with the Daily Racing Forum as well. So some of my stuff from there might pop up too. I've also written a preview of Friday for Odd Checker U.S., I'll have a lot of stuff for Saturday online tonight. That's Thursday night on my site, andrewchampagne.com, and on my social media outlets, not just YouTube, but Twitter as well, at Andrew Champagne. Andrew, thanks like always, buddy. We appreciate it. And let's get Cristal home, and we'll be popping some champagne or Cristal. A little bit of the bubbly, Gino. A little bit of the bubbly. (laughs) Okay, buddy. Thanks a lot. Uh, We'll talk over the weekend. That's Andrew Champagne. We're going to take a quick break here, and we'll close things out, finishing up, and we'll talk a little football. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Racers and Rental Cars is the program for wannabe pro racers and those interested in the racing profession and automotive industry. Join hosts Cameron Ferre and Don O'Neill as they take you behind the scenes with previews and review for race day. It's about the business as well as the fun. We've got the scoop, the guests, the discussion, and the WTF moments. All you need to do is bring your ears. Racers and Rental Cars heard every Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune into All Around Sports with John Inglesby, Mondays at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Variety channel. 
From delicious, exotic, wild game to the latest trends in bow hunting and firearms, the revolution with Jim and Trav this week is going full throttle outdoors. Joining Jim and Travis Scott Lasath, host of Dead Meat, Kurt Wells, editor of Bowhunter Magazine, and host of Bowhunter TV, plus Eric Poole, editor of Guns and Ammo and co-host of Guns and Ammo. The revolution is presented by Outdoor Channel, Sportsman Channel, World Fishing Network, and My Outdoor TV. Saturdays at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Final segment here on the Mike Abadir Show. Big thank you to today's guests who helped us get all ready and set up for the Breeders' Cup this weekend, Craig Milkowski and Andrew Champagne. And sometimes you just got to make a, a late entrance. Sometimes, you, you know, you don't want to get there early. You got to get there fashionably late when everybody's going to notice your arrival. And that's Mike Abadier today, who's uh, who's here. Mikey, what's going on? Just in time. I mean, you were, you were we were in great hands. I didn't even really have to, to talk a whole lot with uh, with Craig and Andrew around because we know they're going to they're going to give us great info on the races. Hey, listen man, Cal Ripken Jr. built his streak on starting games, but there was a couple games where he just came in as a pinch hitter, man. So, hitter. you know, so <laughs> I have right. a consecutive game streak going on and uh, there was no way in the world that I was going to let some uh, <laughs> LA traffic going. It's really bad <laughs> fires that are out here. I'm not sure if oh, yeah. the listeners have been seeing that on the news, but um, yeah, it's causing a lot of havoc, especially on the west side of LA. And uh, yeah, brutal stuff. Prayers out to all those who are the affected. I think LeBron is even uh, affected by yeah, he this. Was evacuated. Yeah. He was evacuated. Uh, and that that kind of gives a. We, 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 I think we got through a good amount of the, the horse racing talk, and we'll get to football in just a second. That gives kind of a good, a good little of a bit of, of a, a transition. And it's unfortunate already we've seen like a, just a lot of injuries, too. I don't know if you saw Steph Curry broke his hand last night. Yeah, the Warriors rough, are going to be in trouble. It gets worse. You know, rough start yeah. gets worse for them. And um, there was a scare. Anthony Davis looks to be okay. He had a little bit of a scare, which crazy. They didn't know if he. He was warming up before the game. They said, yeah, he's fine. He, he like jammed his shoulder when he went to dunk a couple games ago. And then, so he's warming up before his game, uh, their night. And they said, yeah, he'll play. And then he ends up scoring 40 and 40 points and 20 rebounds in 30 minutes. He didn't even play the fourth quarter because they were up by 20. So I guess he's okay. He said he's still a little bit sore. Uh, Kawhi already sitting out. He had a load management game that he missed the other night. So it, it's a little weird in basketball. Like they, more than ever, this wasn't wasn't like this. You know, fifteen twenty years ago, was it? No, not even, at all. With Kobe, even with Kobe, it wasn't like this. He didn't miss games no. at all. No, and it kind of g- goes back to some of the issues that have been kind of resurfacing over the last couple of years between the players' association and Adam Silver and 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 the head coaches of teams, which is the season may perhaps be too long, especially when you compare it to how long the postseason is. Yes. What's the incentive? If you kind of have a pretty good idea where you're going to be slotted, you know, what's the true incentive? Well, the incentive is to perform for the fans 
who are paying a lot of money to come out and see you. Sure. And that's going to be the tug of war all the way around. And I think the Kawhi Leonard thing is all about what I just said, which is load, you know, load management, game management, and making sure that he's going to be okay for stretch run, uh, which matters. And games and, and in October, were, I don't know how much they matter. They were on, it was funny, you could tell, uh, they were on ESPN last night. They were playing the Jazz so there was a national TV game and the Clippers had a back to back. So Kawhi set out that game because he's going to play tonight against the Spurs instead. And, uh, and you could tell Scott Van Pelt and, and like the ESPN analysts were really getting snipey about the load management comments. You know, they're, they're probably obviously pissed too because it ruins their game, you know, like because the, the Jazz end up winning by 15 20 in the end and they're just kind of drawing away from a Clippers team that didn't have Paul George, you know, for at least a couple more weeks and Kawhi Leonard now. Uh, sitting out so it, it does it does get a little frustrated like from a fan perspective it's something that we i guess we've all had to start getting used to over the last few years it, it's just it's a bummer because i you turn on that game it's like oh nice we're gonna get some clippers jazz should be a good game clippers are playing at jazz and it's like oh Kawhi's not playing and the clippers gonna hang with you tough for a little while but you're probably just not gonna be be deep enough without Kawhi to win a game like that on the road so no and, and you raise a really good point too which is the networks you know the networks yeah, no, are gonna be too stoked not at all. That you could tell. There, there. Like Van Pelt was pissed when he said something about it. He, I, I think it was Van Pelt. He said he made kind of some sort of a comment. Oh, load management already. You know, yeah. and uh, <laughs> and I heard. You know, the one. And before we we get into football, we'll, we'll get through some of the games. The one that I I, I thought was kind of um just um a topic to bring to light that I heard was the Pelicans this year. You know, because of Zion. I think they had something like 20 national TV games that you probably just wouldn't have the Pelicans in because they're going to be a young team. They, they made the trade. They have a couple other Laker guys. They're not like necessarily a massive market. So they wouldn't be a team that you would be expecting to be on a TNT a bunch or ESPN. No. But because of Zion and all the interest with Zion, they were on, you know, they're scheduled to be on all these national TV games. And now, unfortunately, Zion, we don't even know if he's going to play this year. I, they said six to eight weeks. You never yeah, know. I, was just maybe say, they... I thought initially it was kind of like right after Christmas, maybe right after New Year's. Is the, is the uh, conversation kind of shifting to uh, more an extended period of time? I think I think it's one of those one of the things where they're not saying anything specifically about him because right now they're zero and four. You know, if you get if you're just at the bottom, what's the point in hustling this guy back? You know what I mean? Maybe you just redshirt him. You so you're right. basically saying, let's see where we're at in the standings. Most yep. likely, depending on how, I mean, if it kind of shakes out the way it started, most likely they're not going to be a playoff team. And so why bother even bringing them back? Uh, maybe to get a little bit of momentum, you know, yep. uh, going into the following season. So maybe he plays the last 10 games. I don't know. Yeah. And what maybe do, do, do the Warriors do something like that now, too? I mean, they, now, they, now when is play scheduled back? Clay is not till like February, and they they said um, Kerr had said that he might not come back at all. So it, now you're you're that might be a standings thing, also. By the way, right? I mean, I don't know how long Curry's hand injury. I don't know if he needs surgery. I, you know, I haven't been up to date, but maybe they're a team that like even if they can get in as an eight seed, they want to do it because they they'll be able to you know give anybody a run for their money with those two guys. Right. But could you imagine if you you get to the, you get so far you know Curry's out for however long he's struggling you look up okay Clay's not coming Clay you say you know what we don't worry about bringing Clay back maybe you say you know what let's shut Curry down too and then all of a sudden you kind of just give up a year 
you get a top level pick and then next year you're getting Curry. You get, you know, you get to basically kind of start over with these guys and the top lottery pick. And by the way, they've got a really young team, by the way. Yeah. They got some young pieces now too, who, man, if these guys, even if they get beat up a little bit for a year, like if they're able to just kind of get like baptism by fire, like get it, having, having to play heavy minutes now, because this is all D'Angelo Russell and Draymond now. And then the rest of these pieces. So it's crazy how quickly, like an injury or two, and then boom, everything changes for you. This team, you know, six months ago, we're talking about a team with Durant, with Curry, with Clay, with Draymond, you know, with Iguodala. In the midst, in the midst of a dynasty, right? Yeah. And then boom, Durant gets hurt, Clay gets hurt, you lose in the finals, and then look what happens. I mean, they could they could very very easily be a lottery team this year now with that injury. I mean, I don't know how long it's going to keep Clay out with the broken hand, or it's going to keep Curry out with the broken hand. But they weren't a very good team with him. <laughs> like they were getting beat up with Curry. Yeah, they, so they've not been off to a good start. So you no, know, but- it's not been like oh, they're barely getting beat and they've been competitive. They've been getting their asses kicked. Yeah, I mean, like they, 20, plus, 20 plus a game. So by, they haven't been competitive. The Clippers, one point, they're down by 40, I think. You know, they, I mean, like they just... Uh, and I think actually 41 against OKC. So, I mean, they're yeah. they're uh, they're really not playing good basketball, even with him, like he said. You know, their, their young roster has a, you know, is going to have an opportunity now, right? Be able to get some serious experience in and, and get the system down and... You make a good point, and when they get all these guys back and get a good pick for the following season, they could be right there. Kind of reminds me a little bit of uh, San Antonio, right? If you go back and look at the uh, the standings Again, over the David Robinson period, there was, yeah, I think, a right year there. where yep, where they kind of ha- were able to get that Tim Duncan pick, and then boom, they're right back at it. Yeah, because you know you're you're a well built franchise. Sometimes it's just like it's unlucky, and it's like how do you handle the unlucky? Because you know what would happen? Like a, a a team, like a panicky or poorly run franchise team would go mortgage something there, and then sell some of their future and go try to like you know like like band aid it up to just you know just make the playoff one year. Like a, a franchise like like Golden State might just look around and say, you know what, we're so far behind. And who knows, you know, maybe they go on a run or something happens and maybe Curry's not out that much, but if they, I think they're well run enough to look around and if they're far out, too far out of it and just say, you know what, we don't need to do this right now. We don't need to, to, to go all in at this point. Let's just wait and we'll start fresh next year. Everybody will be healthy. They'll be coming off a little bit of a, um, a little bit of a freshening and we go from there. So it may be sometimes it's a blessing in disguise because this current group was probably not going to win anyways. They needed a little bit more. And I'll tell you what, and this is maybe a transition into some other sports here, but we've seen that this day and age where general managers are not kind of, you know, doing the same typical year in, year out type of conventional player movement analysis of the salary cap, et cetera, as in the past, what we're really seeing now is teams like the Rams, let's just say, who look at it and say, you know what, we're in the thick of things, but let's move let's off go. of that keep to leap contract. Let's yep. uh, if the Dodgers, let's move on from the possibility of having to pay big money for a Puig or shed the Kemp salary or whatever the case may be. We're seeing a lot more intelligence as you approach, uh, you know, every single season, off season, and in, in yeah. season. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's really really interesting the dynamic that's happening. And it's something that we kind of alluded to last week, too, which is 
the Arizona Cardinals making an immediate financial decision. Yeah, we spent some first round, uh, you know, guaranteed money on Rosen, but we're actually going to save money if we move off of him and get our real quarterback for the future than if we kind of stick with the conventional plan, which is give him three years, et cetera. So interesting stuff. We only have a couple of minutes left here, yeah, Gino. Let's let's, uh, let's talk about yeah. the football a little bit, and um, you know, kind of we're basically at the midway point for you know probably I don't know half the teams at least have played eight games. So what wh- what are your midway thoughts so far? Uh, obviously, the Patriots are doing their thing, eight and zero. A little bit of discussion as to Brady's future. A little bit of talk about who they've actually beat so far, but they look to be kind of a standout in the AFC. You know what? I think that they're a little, I, I think they're a little overrated because of the schedule. Now, again, I think they're very good, but I think um, they have been um, like tracked to have one of the five easiest schedules since 1987. And we're, we're going to look back and like, not even like look at the quarterbacks they face and just teams in general this week, the, the Browns moved the ball on them. Like if the Browns don't, and, and that was a game that we played straight up and you won that game. And, and the, the reason why it frust- frustrated me wasn't because, oh, you know, you lose a game to the Patriots. It was more of, you know, how we lost and we how it lost. Chubb fumbled one ball that he had broke away and then their lineman kicked another ball right out of his hand. I don't know if I've ever seen that. The lineman was falling over and kicked the ball out of Chubb's hand when he was falling backwards. And then Baker literally handed their defense another play. They turned the ball over three times in a row. I think New England's kind of been miraged a little. I'm, I think Baltimore has a shot to beat them this weekend. The line has moved a little too much for me to play, but I'm going to give you my my three plays for the week this week. Yeah, Mike. let's do it. We got about a minute and a half here, so we only got two minutes. So, uh, Indy minus one at Pittsburgh. I like them. Uh, I'm going to go the Bears plus five. They just look so bad this week. Everybody's going to be against the Bears. That's when you go with them. And then Tampa, same thing. They should have won last week. They got screwed on a call poorly. I think you can get five and a half, six in some spots. So uh, if you look for the six, if you can find it on Tampa. Okay, and I'm going to go with Oakland. Uh, line right now is kind of uh, around the two-point mark, two, two and a half, somewhere in that range against the Detroit Lions at home. So I'm going to go Oakland. I'm going to take the Denver Broncos at home. They're getting three and a half. Uh, see the Caesars, it's a four. Uh, so the Denver Broncos at home. And then the uh, L.A. Chargers, who look absolutely horrible, but I'm going to take them at home too. That line to me is a little bit fishy. With how badly they've played, they're only a three and a half point underdog. Granted, it is on the road, but it's not on the road. I guarantee you it's going to be a home team for the Packers. I'm going to take the three home teams and hope for the best. That's going to do it for us here, Mike. Uh, It was good. It was a good episode. We got a lot of great information as far as the Breeders' Cup is concerned. We'll check back in next week. Uh, We'll see how we did with some of the plays, and we'll revisit the uh, the NFL, and uh, we'll take a look at what the, uh, the gambling numbers are for you and I so far. That sounds good. Thanks again to Craig and Andrew, and thank you, the listener, for tuning in. Good luck on this Breeders' Cup weekend. Make a lot of money. Hit some parlays. We'll see you same time, same place next week. Thanks for joining us this week for the Mike Abadir Show. Please tune in again next Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time and 4 p.m. Pacific Time for another show with Mike and his co-host, Gino Bacola, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a great week.